sorry. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. And we want to continue in our series through the book of Romans. A letter written by Paul to a group in Rome who he has never met before, but yet he knows their reputation. They know his reputation also. And so he expresses the words impressed upon him by the Holy Spirit in these chapters, 16 chapters, as we are sharing through this series together. So Romans chapter 2, verse 12. So let me ask a question to kind of, you know, get us all acquainted. And, and just do by raising your hand, you can acknowledge this. How many of you in the room have ever... And this may be tough for some of you that your parents are here. I don't know. But how many of you have ever failed a test, quiz, or exam in life? Raise your hand. Let me see your hand. Put your hand up. Okay. No, keep them up for a moment. Keep them up for a moment. Okay. Look around you. Those that have not raising their hand, they're the ones that always blow the curve in class and mess your life up. Okay. All right. Yes. So pray for them. Absolutely. Yes. So just about everyone in the room at some point or another has had that moment. I remember, you know, I remember school and, and I remember high school or college. And that one thing I really despised about that of quizzes and exams is that what, what they called a peer grading. I don't know if you've ever been involved in peer grading or not, right? So it's that moment that the instructor says, okay, time's up, test is over. And then you pass your test to the person sitting next to you. And then they grade your test. I, I just, well, I didn't want to use the word hate, but I hate that, right? Yes. Why? Because if you've not prepared yourself for the test, you've not done well, then there is no secrets. They're kind of all out in the open, right? As to what you did. And nobody wants to brag about failure. I, I've yet to find anybody that has said, man, that was an F, epic fail on my part. Amazing. I really am so proud of this epic fail in my life. No one, I don't find really anyone ever saying that. What I realized when I began to read, again, chapter 2 of Romans, starting with verse 12, I realized it talks about a test. And it talks about a test that we all struggle with in life. Let me share with you as we begin in, in verse 12. It says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And I thought about this for a moment. It's a test. The law is a test. A test with a very specific purpose for all of us in life. And a very, I think, a very specific goal for us in life. And so Paul always starts out his writings, his letters, with an explanation of who he's talking to. It kind of takes all the confusion out of it. Because when he starts chapter 2, he says when he begins that there's no excuse on our part. Because we can't say, oh, this is for the other guy and this is not for me in life. So I'm going to kind of, you know, let this kind of pass over my head today. And it's for the person behind me. No, what he says is this is for all of us. So it's for us in this room today on campus is for those of us that are joining through church at home this morning. It's for you in your living room. It's for us sitting in this place today. And so he writes where there's no excuse in this part of his letter. And so what he's doing, he's addressing two people. He's addressing the Jews who are under the law, and he's addressing the Gentiles who are outside of the law. And what he's saying to them is this, that I'm going to judge you equally, is what he's saying. And so I came up with this thought in kind of Mark's kind of vernacular, and what he's simply saying is, no one gets a pass on their sin. No one gets a pass on their sin. 
Right. And, and it, hey, if you were close enough, I would tell you to say that to the person next to you. Right. You're not going to get a pass on your sin. And then how do you know that, Mark? Because verse 11 of chapter two says that God shows no partiality, that he deals with all of us equally. He does. And so for a moment in understanding that no one gets a pass on their sin, I want you just to take a deep breath and calm down for a minute. You've gotten nervous. You've gotten tense. You're counting them up on your finger. Well, you don't have enough fingers for a lot of you, right? And there's are most of us in this room. And so it can be very terrifying to hear that, that no one gets a pass on their sin. But can I tell you, there's great hope in understanding that. And there's great encouragement for you and I in understanding that no one gets a pass on their sin. Because what I realized that before God, this is very level ground. Before the Lord, this is very level ground in relation to our brokenness, in relation to our need for God within our life, in that of the fact of you and I have to have a Savior within our life. So it's very absolute, very level ground that God sees all of us equally. In our culture, equality is a word that we use a lot. You see it on T-shirts, and, and good, we need to use that word, absolutely. You, you see it on billboards, you see it on social media. But here what we find is the origin of equality, that God sees us all equally. He sees us all equally, yet that being a just God, he does. And he sees us all equally inside of his love and mercy and grace. God sees us all the same. Even your sweet Nana, who can... Pray the paint off of a wall, right? He sees us all equally, even with her. Yes. What does level ground mean for you and I? It means that, well, being a churchgoer, it means that being an active volunteer, being a giver, it it means that being a preacher or a teacher or a singer, it, it, it gives us no advantage before God. And I think that's important that we understand that there's no advantage in those things before God. Because what I realize is this, that religion is built upon position and pedigree. It's, it's built upon position as to where you are and what you do in life for God and the kingdom of God. And it's also built on that of your lineage where you were from and how you were raised. And what I, when I look at this, what I realize God is talking about relationship, but he's talking about our hearts. Let me give you some words of Jesus from the book of Matthew chapter seven and verse 21. Here's what Christ says to us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. That is obedience, not by fear, but out of love for God. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out devils in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, he says, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The next time that you have an opportunity to bring a devotion somewhere, use that. It really is a great way to simply gain friends and influence in people's life, right? It just like, oh, Mark, what a text to start out with. But what I realize Paul is saying to you and I through Romans is this, that kind of experience, that kind of experience that Jesus is talking about, that Paul is talking to about, is this thin veneer that drapes over my heart and your heart. Yet under that is this sinful heart. And my heart is as sinful as anyone else in this room. Yours is sinful as mine and mine is as sinful as yours. And that's 
Paul's point because the Jews did not see it that way. They could never understand, they could never understand this teaching that their heart was as sinful as the Gentiles because they were under the law and the Gentiles were outside of the law. So they could never buy into this understanding and this fact that their hearts were as sinful as the others. And I want to tell you, say, Mark, what does that mean for us? Because we don't always use those words, but we do use that lens to see others by. We do. What do you mean? It's the way sometimes, and I have to bring this personal because Paul does that in relationships so many times through the book of Romans for a moment, that it's the way that, that whether you are a Democrat or a Republican, did you see one another, right? Yes. Say, Mark, don't talk about politics. That's dangerous. But no, this is our culture. And then you have the, the libertarians that are outside of those two branches looking at the both and think they're all crazy. And, 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 and so it's the way we see what you have conservatives in the way they view liberals and the other way around. Theologically, you have the reformed group looking at the people that believe in free will. You have the Pentecostals looking at the Baptists and the Baptists looking at the Pentecostals and thinking they're crazy. And so religion is about position and pedigree, about your lineage in life. It's not about the gospel. It's powerless to change your heart. It can change the behavior of your life. And that's where we mistake that for a relationship with God. It can adjust your behavior in life, but it doesn't change your heart. Mark, you should have warned us about Romans, right? We should have issued a disclaimer. Be careful, cautious, right? You know, we we should like put a big sticker over the doors teaching Romans here this morning. Be careful, right? Because it teaches or it speaks exactly to where you and I are living. It talks to you and I directly. What I realize when when Paul talks about Jews here, you know, it's difficult for you and I to connect with that. Maybe because we are not uh, Jewish. Uh, ethnically, but what we realize is when he talks about Jews, he's talking about those that simply are, well, for a a lack of better terms, church people. He's talking about those of us that follow Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking to people that don't come to church on church uh, at campus or those watching from church at home. That's not what he's talking to. Who he's talking to is this. He's talking to those of you that have a five pound study Bible with all the multicolored markers where you mark all through it all the time he's talking to us he's talking to us that profess christ he's talking to us that people say oh i know him because or she because they're a christian and they go to church he's talking to us this morning and what i love about this that god loves you and i to this degree and this is where this hope comes in in this statement that you know no one gets a pass on their sin this is where the hope comes in that god doesn't leave you where you are and what it, beautiful is he moves on the heart of paul by the power of the holy spirit to speak to us today because he knows exactly where we're living he knows our lifestyle those of us who are on the journey those of us that always say hey we're about progress and not perfection we say that a lot here that you're struggling with your sin And at times you're practicing the sin of your life. He's talking to us this morning that God never leaves us where we are. But he lovingly, but sometimes vigorously and directly and sternly challenges our position on the journey. And he challenges us for something better. That's it. That's the book of Romans. You can relax now. You can take the seatbelt off. You know, you can you can stop being so tense 
uncross your legs. You know, that makes you tense, sir. If you simply do that, right, kind of relax for a moment. Because what this is, as we said last week, it's an invitation to something better in life. That's encouraging. Yes, absolutely. If you drove a car to church this morning and then that car barely made it here, you're praying over it every day, you know, kind of deal. When you get in that car, it's an act of faith. Every time you get in that car, you drove it here. Somebody comes up to you in the parking lot and say, hey, I noticed week after week you've been driving this car and your car really needs a healing from God. But I think maybe needs a resurrection. And so what I want to do is I want to take you tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and I want to buy you a new car. You just pick out one you want. And some of you thinking, oh, Lord, I'm at the right church, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, and they want to buy you a new car. Are you going to say, nah, no problem. I don't want that. Now, nah, I don't really. I'll just keep, you know, jumping this thing off in the mornings when the battery's dead. I'll keep bringing it with me and it's okay. Yeah, no, you're probably going to say, yes, I want that. Why? Because it's something better. Open your heart to Romans. Because it's an invitation for you to have something better within your life. But it's a tough journey. So let's talk for a moment. Look at verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. We've used this statement a lot, but I put it in a form of a question for you this morning. Saved by grace, judged by works. And let me tell you, we have to get beyond, whether you're here this morning or you're watching from church at home, that we have to get beyond this discussion of just about our hands. We move beyond just what we do. And that's what this is about. We move beyond maybe the harsh words that you had with your family, you know, this morning to get them out of the, the, the house and get them here. We have to move beyond all of those moments. We have to move beyond what you thought when you got here this morning and nobody had reminded you it's your first time back and and nobody had said anything to you about not having donuts and muffins and fruit and all that stuff and so you stood in the lobby and in some somewhere under your breath you cussed this morning in our lobby right yes and 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 so now you're sitting here listening to me telling you that you're no better than the person next to you and you're hangry right you know what hangry is right you're angry and you're hungry you're hangry right and so i'm telling you this What is this about is about the motivation of your heart. Because sin in my life and your life happens in my heart long before it happens in my hands. And it's a true statement. And that's what Paul is telling us. But our actions do matter. We said that last week, right? Our actions do matter. So I formed a question for you this morning. Do my actions have an eternal consequence to them? Do my actions have an eternal consequence to them? Well, we already know actions do matter to God, but do they have an eternal consequence? Well, here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to say to you, no, they do not. And, And then listen to me before you get all crazy on me, because you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace through faith so you can breathe. Not by works, lest you should boast in those works within your life. Understand that, that the salvation in your life, well, we realize the scripture says in Romans that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We know that so that this is a sovereign work of God. We bring nothing to the table in this. So my answer to that is no, but my answer to that is also yes. You knew I was gonna do that, didn't you? You knew that. It's also yes that my actions do have eternal consequences because my actions, the way I act and the way I treat you and others and what I do in life is one of the best indicators 
of what I believe. It is. That yes, I'm about progress and not perfection. There's a whole lot of grace here and I understand that. But actions do matter. That I'm simply saved by grace, judged by works. That it is faith plus works, not faith by works. And that's a huge difference in those two things. So what I realize is repentance is a changed heart. It's not that I just go to church every week. That's not it at all. It's not that I've just taken my first communion. That's not it at all. It's not that it's just I have gone through confirmation or catechism or I have had a bar mitzvah. It's not that at all. It's not that I have somehow joined some team to serve at church. No, because when we truly experience conversion, conversion behavior follows. Imperfect, covered by grace. But when we have truly experienced conversion, conversion behavior will follow. That's what he's teaching us. He's not saying that, listen, that your faith today is somehow uh, based upon your works and what you do. And that would be a tragedy if you came away from this teaching with that kind of understanding. That's not what is what he's saying at all. But what he's saying is this. If you truly have experienced conversion within your life, then you will live out that conversion in your actions. Yes, imperfect at times. Yes, you will fail at times. And yes, you will sin. Absolutely. I understand it because you are human. But yet there is grace. But there is conversion behavior that follows. Yes. Can I show you a text? Thank you. It's Romans, Sue. Isn't that great? Romans 10, 10. Mark, you're getting ahead of yourself. We'll get there at some moment, sometime, you know, sometime three or four years from now. But it says this in Romans 10, 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So here's the thought. With the heart we believe. Why? Because it starts there. It has to be a heart experience, a transformation in my life and yours. So with the heart we believe. And then, and then what he says, with the mouth we confess. Because actions always follow belief. Realize that. Many times the Jews always got that turned around, right? Actions somehow would create belief. That is not it. That belief comes simply after, or action comes after belief within our life. And that changes us. Something changes on the inside of us that affects the outside of us. That's repentance. That's, that's simply a, a conversion experience with God is what that is. And then what Paul does, he introduces a word in the book of, of Romans to you and I, and it's the word justified. And it's a very legal term. And what is this is this, that when God forgives you, he simply says that you're innocent as if you have never sinned before in your life. That's an amazing thought that only God could do that. It's not that he just expunges our record. No, there is no record. There is nothing. It's as if we have never done it again, done it before. What I realize that when somebody expunges your record, if you're if you've had a charge at some point within your life criminally, that the reality is it doesn't it doesn't erase the fact of what happened in your life. What, he, what this says for God is it does erase the fact of that. It simply makes you as being innocent. It's a beautiful concept. It is. But here what we realize is that when Paul says these words, it's problematic or could be for you and I because it appears that he almost links justification with that of works. And that's not what he's doing at all. That's not what he's saying to you and I. 
He's talking about the motivation of our heart. He's talking about the Jews keeping the law, but they're devoid about any change within their heart. Why does he say that to you and I? It's not like we ever act that way. Isn't it true? Why would he say that to us? It's because of what he says in verse 14. And here's what he says. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that, and I know there's a lot of terminology here, so just hang on for a minute. They show that the works of the law is written on their hearts. That sounds pretty good, right? That doesn't sound bad at all. While their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. That's that judgment moment that you have in your mind when something is right or wrong is what he's talking about. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So I formed another question for us this morning. And it's this, is a relationship with Christ more than a good conscience? Because that's big. I think that's something that we deal with Oh, as they dealt with here in the church at Rome, we deal with it so much in our culture today and in the church that is a relationship with Christ more than a good conscience. A kind of law written upon their hearts is what Paul says. I, I can I explain that to you. Paul is saying that, that simply they do not have the law as the Jews, the Gentiles do not, but they possess an internal law. And what it is, it's a moral conscience is what he's talking about. It's that moral conscience within their life that says this is right and this is wrong is what it is. They understand God's basic requirements. By nature, they do what is required by the law, but they don't have the law. And so they don't have a relationship with God either. And so what Calvin refers to this as common grace. It's that innate, that innate sense in our life and your life of right and wrong is what it is. They do not know God in the sense that the Jews know it, but they have what you would refer to as an internal barometer. It's our conscience. Is conscience a bad thing? No, and I don't want to devalue that. Use your conscience. No, you need to do that. You need to listen to that voice within inside of you. But I think what we do is we confuse that today with a relationship with Christ. And Paul is saying there is a very distinct difference between the two. Can I just be really honest with you today? Okay, here it is. And maybe some of these statements will cause questions or discussion. Those of you sitting in your living room with your family or, or, or whatever. But I want to say to you, just because you're, and, and I chose extremes, okay? Just because you're not sleeping around or just because you're not dealing drugs or just because you're not robbing banks or just because you're not cheating the internal revenue service or cheating on your spouse does not mean that you have a relationship with Christ through the gospel. For those of you that are first time here, we're glad that you're here and I'm glad that this was your first time. It may be your last time, but no, I just want to, I just want you to, to wrap your arms and your mind around that. It's not, that does not constitute a relationship with God. It doesn't. You have an internal barometer. There's a lot of people that never have followed Christ in their life and they would never harm anyone. They may not even say a, a curt word against someone. They may never gossip. They may not. There's a lot of people who don't know Christ who have great marriages and they respect each other and they're faithful to one another. It's the internal barometer within their lives. And I think what you and I struggle with is that 
because we have that internal barometer, we mistake that for a loving and living relationship with Christ. Listen. Paul says the Gentiles, they have a law written on their heart, and that is wonderful. He says the Jews have a law that's written on stone tablets. That is absolutely wonderful. That's a great thing. But neither one of them are a substitute for a relationship with Jesus. Understand that. It's great to have them. Possessing those things and those laws within our life and that conscience does not substitute that of you and I following Christ and growing in Christ and being on this journey with him as, as sometimes as imperfect that it is, it doesn't substitute that of a relationship with Christ, a redemptive relationship with the Lord. And I think what you have is you have people that come to church for years and years. Oh, I've met, I've met them. I know them by name for years and years. And they sit here and they think just because they're a good person means that they are okay with God. That does not mean that we're okay with God. Should I sit down for a moment and breathe? You know, I, I, I just, I, I, when I, I read this and I read this and I studied this this week and I thought these are such powerful words that challenge you and I, this kind of relationship that we live as a church, we live in this relationship. It's a very thin veneer over our hearts. And can I tell you, God is very concerned about your heart. I'm going to tell you why and how he expresses his concern because it says here in the verses that we just read in verse 16 that one day he is so concerned about your heart that he will reveal all the secrets of your heart. Wow. Let me turn my back for a moment and just breathe. That's a powerful thought. That he is so concerned about a relationship with you and I that is based upon our own hearts, not our works. That he says that some point in history, he will reveal all of the secrets of man. Man. That. For everybody in the room is probably a, a, a shaking moment in our lives. But yet it does say to me how much he values a relationship with you. It says how much he loves you in life. It's, it's not about a works-centered life. It's about a God-centered life for you and I. That we're not justified by the law because no one can keep the law. No one was found worthy of the law. No one could keep all the elements of the law. It just didn't happen that everyone and today everyone is found lacking and then there is grace. And then there's grace. So have you ever measured yourself by God's law? Have you ever done it? So let's do something fun, okay, for a moment. We're gonna do something fun for a moment and then I'm gonna tie all this together in just a minute as we finish up with, with uh, 17 through 24 and then we'll read 29. I won't read all of those verses but let's do something fun for a moment. You say, Mark, when you say something fun, that makes us nervous. Because what we realize is that the Jews were judging the Gentiles by the law of God. And everyone, everyone was found lacking, Jew and Gentile here. So I read in a book called Tell the Truth by Will Metzger. And, and it is, it is, a, it is a, 
uh, book about evangelism and, and maybe, you know, sharing the gospel with others. And so it gives a test there. So we're going to take a test. That's why I started out with tests, right? So I'm going to give you seven statements. They're yes or no for you, for all of us in the room. Seven statements, yes or no. There were 10 of them, but I decided not to use three of them. Kind of tells you what they probably are, right? So here are seven statements, a test concerning God's law in your life. So here's the first one. We'll put it up on the screen. And it says, I've never put anything else before God in my life, yes or no. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, okay? I'm not asking, you know, write this down somewhere. Maybe, I mean, you got 10 fingers, so you can write them on your fingers if you have a pen, yes, no, yes, no, kind of thing. But the first question, our first statement is this, I've never put anything else before God in my life. First place in my thinking, he's first place in my affections, he's first place in my actions, yes or no? You ready for the second one? Here it is, ready? I have never slighted or abused the character of the true God by using his holy name as a swear word or using it in a thoughtless manner, such as calling myself a follower of God, yet not obeying. I've always respected his name, which signifies his character, using it with thoughtfulness and respect. Yes or no? Wow. Here's the third one. We'll put it up here on the screen for you. The next one. I have never disobeyed or dishonored my parents or any other authority over me. Well, that's rough. If you're sitting next to your parents, if you're writing it down, hide that right now, right? It's yes, yes. Uh, well, we'll get to one that kind of levels it all out for us in just a moment. But I've respected and honored and obeyed them as well as all other authorities in my life. Here's the fourth one. So we hurry through these. I've never murdered anyone nor had a hateful thought or taken the slightest pleasure in seeing harm done to others. I've always thought about others more than myself. Highest regard for human life and justice in our community. I've never murdered anyone or had a hateful thought or taken the slightest pleasure in seeing harm done to another. Yes or no? The fifth is this. You ready? I've never practiced any sexual impurity either engaging, physically engaging in sex before marriage or mentally having impure thoughts about anyone or someone. I've always treated others' sexuality with respect and dignity, yes or no. I tried to really figure out how to make all these funny, but I just couldn't figure that out, right? I just couldn't quite get a, get a spin on, on all of that to, to help you digest it. You know, add a little sugar with it. It helps the medicine go down kind of thing. But I, I just couldn't, so I just thought, hey, just throw them out there to you. You know I love you. The sixth one is this. I've never taken anything that does not belong to me or been deceitful in my attitude. I've respected the belongings and rights of others. I've always been completely truthful and fair. Yes or no? The seventh is this, I have never lied. That covers all the ones before this, right? Yes, yes. So now you gotta go through and change some of your answers. Yes, right? Because some of you lied. You know you did, okay? So, all right, here's the thing. I've never lied or slandered another person or group of people. I've always told the truth in every situation regarding every person I've known. A passing grade here is perfect, all right? That's the passing grade. So let's go back to our very first question and kind of lay it over this for a moment. How many of you just off the top of your head failed this test miserably? Let me see your hand. You failed it miserably. 
wow, what a church. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and that's why we're here. None of us measure up. That's the thought. None of us measure up. We all fall short. And I think what's going to happen here is you're going to really struggle to find someone this, in this room to compare yourself to that's worse than you are. I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago. That's the way it works, right? You find someone that's worse than you are to compare yourself to that makes you feel better. And that's the beauty of this text. That's the beauty of everything that Paul is teaching us in this, that we're all in need of a savior. We all need a mercy and we're all in need of grace at the point. And it simply says that God sees us all equally. And this proves that fact. And I think, and what I realized is I thought about this this week, that if the church looked more like what we did just now, a lot more people would want to come to church. Because when you remove the truth of us, when you remove the truth about who we are, you hide our, our lives under this thin mask sometimes that, that what I realize is when you hide something like that, it really stinks and we really don't want to be around anything that stinks greatly. It doesn't. And the gospel frees us to open our hearts today. That's the beauty of the gospel. That is Romans. It frees us to be about very honest about who we are and where we are in life and to realize that we have all failed the test. We've all failed the test. And the test always pushes us to the one that could save us, and that is God. Let me, I, I can't get ahead of myself. Let me read these verses and we will quit. It's verse 17. If, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed by the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, and then who teach others, do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? He says, you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What about the motives of our heart? What about the motives of my heart and yours? And Hannah, wherever you are, you can come play. Because if you don't come right now, I got a lot more to say, okay? And, and, and I need to just stop this right now. It's this imperfect, God-centered life. Ah, there you are. Not this rule-centered life. So we fail the test. Where does that leave us? If we fail this test miserably, where does that leave you and I? It leaves you in the best place that you and I have ever been. Because I can't achieve perfection in these areas. What was the purpose of the law then? The purpose of the law was never to highlight my ability to keep it. The purpose of the law was always to highlight my inability to keep the law. Why? Because when I realize that I'm enabled in doing those things, it always pushes me towards someone that is absolutely able. When I am imperfect, it always pushes me to something that is absolutely perfect. And what I realize, it pushes me to God. God knows us. From the moment of our sin in the garden, he created this plan to redeem you and I. To deal with the ugliness of our hearts and our lives and our thinking. To love our hearts enough to pull back the veneer that we cover it with at times. To reveal all the secrets 
so that you and I will have a relationship with him. So who are you trusting in today? Oh, I'm trusting in myself because I can make this happen. You failed the test. Can I remind you again? It was a colossal fail for most of us in this room. Some of you had to go back and even change your answers because of number seven, because you lied. So are you trusting in your conscience? just your ability to know right from wrong and I'm a good person I've never harmed anyone in life are you trusting the law are you trusting that of your position and pedigree and where you've come from and the way you were raised in your family tree are you trusting in the track record of where you've been somehow is going to get you where you need to be in the future or this morning are you resting securely the gospel that's it can I say to you today as we tie this together congratulations you failed yeah congratulations you failed and in that failure you find completeness satisfaction and love and forgiveness and mercy the call for my life and your life is not to be a better rule keeper today and I know for all the fundamentalists in the room and your backgrounds that you cringe when I say those things to you but that's not the call today from Paul it's a call for a transformed heart And that's the kind of church that changes the world. Paul says in verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from God, but from man. That it's not about, it goes back again, it's not even about surgery. It's about my heart. It's about the Holy Spirit working in my heart. It's not about whether I'm able to keep all the rules tomorrow or not with God. It's not about that at all. It comes back to my heart. And as God is working in my heart, I will obey him out of love and not fear. I will. And my actions will absolutely mirror the conversion of my life. But it will be absolutely imperfect in this world but a lot of unrest in your life and my life this morning is because it's who you're trusting. Because you're going to mess up tomorrow. You're going to say something that you know is wrong. You're going to treat someone the way that you you would not want to be treated. Uh, you're, you're, you're going to deal with jealousy and, and you're going to deal with unforgiveness and confusion and misunderstanding and you're going to deal with those things tomorrow and you're going to hammer yourself to death because you say you're a Christian I should never have those kinds of feelings within my life and can I tell you you're human you're forgiven you're covered in the mercy and the grace of God today and yes we will obey him out of love for him but what I realize is my relationship with him is not based upon whether I get everything right tomorrow. It's based upon the fact that he did get everything right. And that makes all the difference.
That makes all the difference. If we want to talk about equality, and we should talk about equality in our culture, if we want to have that discussion, then let's start with the origin of equality, and that's this. That's this. That God sees us all the same in our sins. So for a moment, would you bow your heads? Can I pray with you? Those that are here on campus, those that are joining us from church at home, to take a moment to just seek God and the things that are in our own hearts. Lord, you know us well. Father, these words that sometimes we just read as a surface reading can bring fear or can bring trepidation to our lives. But as we begin to look through them and think of them and the Holy Spirit reveals them to us, we see your love, your gospel woven all through these things. That you love us enough to see us all equal. You play no favorites here. That you see us all in our brokenness and our struggles. You've come to do what none other could do, and that is to heal us and forgive us, to walk with us on this path in life, to cause us to grow, God, by your work within our lives, and sometimes that work is discipline. In moments we don't get it right, God, You have always gotten it right and we're covered by you. So today, Father, with your loving hands in our lives that you would lift these heavy loads from us this morning. These loads of always trusting in ourself and trusting in our conscience or even trusting in a law and that we would trust in you. trust in you today, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your work in our lives today that frees us to open our hearts to you and to the Holy Spirit and to those around us and to the world so that we can make you known in greater ways. And for this work, God, we are thankful in your name.